0: Welcome to a new episode of The Lee Show. I'm your host, as always, Lee Bressler. I keep getting asked for my opinion about the situation in Afghanistan, and I'm going to try to break it down and share some thoughts. But first, I want to dedicate this episode to two groups of people. First, to the brave American soldiers who risked their lives to fight in this war. Many gave the ultimate sacrifice for their country. I am grateful for their bravery. And second is to the Afghan people who were willing to help and partner with the occupying American force. We owe these people a major debt of gratitude, and we have the opportunity to repay them by helping them to resettle, to allow them to become refugees, to save them from the Taliban. But sadly, it seems we are going to fail miserably at that task. So first, why were we in Afghanistan? And what did we want to accomplish? We invaded Afghanistan in 2001 following the attacks of September 11th. George Bush, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld were determined to look strong, to look like they were doing something. But there was never a clear explanation for why we were there. If you asked 10 people why we went, you would get 10 equally plausible answers. That wasn't the case in the Vietnam War, in World War II. You knew what the purpose was. You may not have agreed with it, but you knew why you were there. But in Afghanistan, people will tell you it's about fighting terrorism or about minerals or about opiates or China or Osama bin Laden or women's rights. I don't have a good explanation for why we were there. Maybe it was because Apple Computer needed lithium ion for their batteries. So they made us do it. I don't know. Here's a possibility. In 2001, China joined the World Trade Organization. I've talked about this before on the show. And we began shipping jobs and factories to China en masse. And coinciding with this was the rampant overprescription of opiates to people. So did we just need all the opium from Afghanistan? Was that the reason to go? Maybe it was to enrich the contractors that provided the services and equipment that we needed. That seems plausible. One explanation that I hear is that we were there to prevent terrorism. Was that worth it? 6,300 Americans died in Afghanistan, plus another 166,000 Afghan people. So we wanted to prevent a terrorist from slipping through the net who could maybe hurt or kill some people. So we launched a war in which we spent $2 trillion, $10,000 for every person in the United States, every man, woman, and child. We killed 172,000 people. Was that worth it? Look, if I'm being generous and giving the benefit of the doubt, I think we went to get bin Laden. I think the Taliban got caught up in it because they refused to hand him over. And under George W. Bush, nobody says no to America. You say no, it's time to go. So we had to smoke them out of their hidey holes. But they got bin Laden in May of 2011. And that was probably the time we should have gotten out. So we're trying to get to him. We're trying to punish him for 9-11. We get him, but then we stayed for no clear reason. And it feels to me like the entire justification for being there was corrupt. It feels like we went to enrich the contractors, but it was hard for the politicians to admit that they were wrong. It was hard for them to pull out. Pulling out would admit That we had failed in creating a functioning Afghan state and democracy. And it was exactly that. It was a failed state. The country was controlled by a combination of the Taliban and this group of pedophile warlords running each province and area. You know, I mentioned that yesterday in a video and I got a lot of questions Was that true? Did it really happen? It's very much true. In 2011, there were articles starting then in the New York Times about how these warlords did something called bacha bazi. It translates literally to boy play, where nine-year-old boys would dress up as girls and they were trained to dance and to be sex slaves for these warlords. All of the powerful men, the police chiefs, the military commanders, they would all keep these boys as sexual companions. And obviously, this is horrible. It was rampant. But the US military had an explicit policy of not interfering. There were numerous reports of special forces commanders who tried to speak up about this and lost their jobs. They said, this is inhumane. This is slavery. In 2015, there was a government report commissioned that talked about the practice and how American soldiers were instructed not to intervene, even when this took place. On our turf, on our military bases. And if the whole point of going to Afghanistan was to protect human rights, shouldn't we protect human rights? I mean, I get that allies can be unclean bedfellows, but this is outrageous. But pulling out of Afghanistan, it was hard. You have to admit that you screwed up. And I got to say, I admire Biden for doing it. I think he botched the execution, but I admire him for doing it. I admire him for having the courage to do it, for being willing to take the political hit. And we'll talk more about that later. So who do I blame for this mess? There's lots of blame to go around. First, let's take it back. I blame Bill Clinton. His administration did not take Al-Qaeda seriously. Clinton and his advisors passed up multiple opportunities to target Osama bin Laden. I remember in 1998, I was in high school reading a Newsweek article about the grave danger of al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. If I knew about this, they surely knew about this. The al-Qaeda threat manifested on Clinton's watch. That led to 9-11. That led to the war in Afghanistan. I also blame George Bush and Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. Got to include Dick Cheney. In 2001, when they invaded Afghanistan, They did it with a very small group from the CIA Special Activities Division to start with. They had the opportunity to deliver a death blow to al-Qaeda and to the Taliban. But instead of committing the forces that were needed to hunt down bin Laden and others like Ayman al-Zawahiri, they hesitated. The U.S. relied on these local warlords and on other actors, many of whom were duplicitous and bin Laden and Zawahiri and others managed to weasel their way out. They got to the Tora Bora mountains, Al-Qaeda regrouped, and we were unable to get out quickly. And the U.S. nation building project in Afghanistan was always doomed to fail. 20 years of war and occupation, untold casualties, $2 trillion, including... billion to train and equip the Afghan security forces. $100 billion. What did we get for that? We got absolutely nothing. I mean, literally, we got zero for that. And for years, U.S. military commanders touted these forces and they lied. They knew they were lying, but they touted these forces as the mainstay of a free and safe Afghanistan. The Taliban routed them in a week with barely a shot fired. Eight years ago, Lieutenant General Milley, who's now Biden's chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he complained that the media was not giving enough credit to the progress that they had made in building up the Afghan National Security Forces. They hadn't accomplished anything. They had made no progress. It was always a lie, designed to justify this endless occupation. And then once we were ready to pull out, to create this pleasing fairy tale about why the last 20 years were not in utter waste. But we have seen that these Afghan security forces were useless. They might as well have been cardboard. Now we can't absolve Biden for his part in this disaster. His administration failed To appropriately arrange for the evacuation of troops, civilians, of our Afghan partners. President Biden was naive or reckless, and he shrugged off the capabilities of the Taliban and he assured Americans of an orderly withdrawal. What's the right way to do the withdrawal? First, you get out the people that you need to get out, destroy the files and the computers and whatever other stuff they needed to do. Then they announce, hey, we're going to leave. You close down all the buildings and then you go. And they did it in the exact opposite order. And Biden is 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 criticized for abandoning Afghanistan to the wrong Afghans. But you know what? The supposed right Afghans, they're in their very fine houses in McLean, Virginia and Dubai and Qatar that are bought with diverted U.S. funds. And the only alternative to getting out was to turn Afghanistan into a permanent American colony or or some sort of U.S. military constabulary. And after billions of dollars and 20 years of preparation, if these Afghan forces were unable to stand on their own two feet without continuous U.S. support, then it was never going to work out. So how did it go in Afghanistan? What did we accomplish there? Well, I think we accomplished nothing. We spent a fortune. We killed so many people. The only thing that came of it was enriching the contractors that supplied our military. On the services side, you had companies like MPRI and DynCorp that were hired to train the Afghan army and police. These companies must be held to account. First of all, they would lie about how many people they trained. They were given a mandate, train 300 people this month. They would train 150, and then they would lie and say they did the 300. This is well documented. The Washington Post did a massive expose in 2019 called the Afghanistan Papers. It was an incredible piece of journalism. And they talked about all of the lies that were coming from the contractors. But these, these contractors were paid handsomely for this work, despite their dishonesty. And the people that they recruited and trained, they were useless. Ninety percent of them were illiterate. They couldn't understand what they were supposed to be doing. This Afghan army was incompetent, unmotivated, rife with deserters. And not only that, the Afghan commanders would create these sort of ghost soldiers and then pocket their salaries, paid, of course, by the U.S. taxpayers. And then on the equipment side, the entire war was just a giant operation to deliver overpriced products and then lose them just so that the Pentagon would have to order more products. Michael Tracy, fabulous journalist, he did a great interview with a captain in the Air Force who worked for the Joint Command. And he emphasized that the entire operation was designed to just funnel money and lose equipment. They'd get a shipment of like 14 Humvees And within a week, 12 of them would go missing. And they would just be written off as a loss. They didn't go out and look for them. And our soldiers went to Afghanistan with Humvees that were useless. They had this extra armor added to them. They were terrible. They broke down all the time. They weren't designed to hold 15,000 pounds of armor in a mountain environment. So the government launched this rapid project to get them MRAPs. That stands for Mine Resistant Ambush Protected Vehicle. Giant vehicles. We spent $50 billion to buy them from a company called Oshkosh. It's a military equipment supplier in the US. And these MRAPs weighed 40,000 pounds. They were driving them on roads that couldn't even support the Humvees that weighed half that much. These MRAPs would roll over all the time. And the military used these vehicles for five years and then realized that they were useless. So they shipped them back to the U.S. and sold them to small town police forces throughout the U.S. How do you think that the militarization of police really got started? The MRAPs, they were were bulletproof. That was good. But the Taliban adapted to this. They started putting improvised explosive devices on the roads. So you had these heavily armored doors and windows. But then, whenever there was an explosion underneath, the entire impact of the blast would stay inside the vehicle. It basically liquefied everyone who was inside. How is it that no chemist, that no engineer said, Hey, guys, if a bomb hits the bottom of this, it's going to turn all of our soldiers into Campbell's soup? Nobody was in the room and said, We're solving one problem, but it's going to make another problem that also sucks. These insurgents weren't stupid. They figured out what worked. And so the MRAPs only lasted a few years. And then they were swapped out for something called MATVs, like off-road vehicles on steroids. There's always a new vehicle, a new program, a new product. And you know Biden campaigned about how he had these MRAPs made. No one called him out on it, that it was a huge waste of money, that the program was a total failure. But that's why our military was in Afghanistan. They weren't there to do a thing. They were there as a receptacle. They were there to purchase expensive new stuff that wasn't wanted, that wasn't needed, to lose it, and then to buy more stuff. This entire operation was set up for contractors to just have license to fleece us. It's time for a quick word from our sponsor. I love podcasts. You love podcasts. Osama bin Laden loved podcasts, I think. He was a big true crime buff. And I published the Lee show using Anchor. I think it's a great service. I tested out a number of options. This was clearly the best. They have great sound quality. It's the same company. Anchor is made by the same company that created the weapons that cause Havana syndrome. How cool is that? And it's owned by Spotify as part of their quest to destroy Neil Young. Anchor provides the tools that let you record and edit from your phone, from your computer. I record my audio. I upload it and distribute it to all the major podcasting platforms. It's very easy. They'll get you on Spotify. They'll get you on Apple Podcasts, all the leading players, and you can make big bucks. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What about our exit? How did that go? Clearly, it went badly. The US military is near its complete withdrawal from Afghanistan. And the news is filled with really disturbing images. Last night was one of a C 17 transport plane taking off and running over desperate Afghan people on the runway. And there were others who hid in the wheel well trying to flee, and then they fell to their deaths as the plane was airborne. There are other images of people crowding up the ramp and onto transport planes just trying to get out with nothing but the shirt on their back. There are images of Bagram Air Base, which we gave up control of, filled with fleets of American vehicles that are just there for the taking for anyone who controls that base. This exemplifies the enormous waste that our 20-year intervention is leaving behind. And it was the U.S. taxpayers who subsidized all of these acquisitions. The streets of Kabul, the supposed cosmopolitan capital of the city, where women would wear blue jeans as a sign of how free things were. The Taliban is there going through the town, destroying any kind of business that they deem to be inappropriate. The army, the police that we spent all this money to train, they haven't done anything. They don't care about fighting. They were just getting paid to do a dumb job for the past 20 years. No one's paying them to do it anymore. Why bother? We wanted to enforce some sense of liberalism and of human rights in this country. But it seems that the majority of people there don't seem to care. They don't want it. They want a fucking caliphate. This is really hard for the political left in the US, you know, the progressive movement. Because on the one hand, they advocate for anti-imperialism and not invading countries filled with brown people. Okay, that makes sense. I don't think we should be invading countries either. But on the other hand, we are now abandoning the people of this country to misery and illiberalism. The women of this country will be stuck at home, can't go to school, have to wear a burqa. It sucks for these people. They deserve better. You know, there's a parallel here to a topic that we've talked about on this show before of Taiwan. And the question with Taiwan is, if they want and expect the U.S. to intervene militarily in the event they're attacked, what do they need to contribute to their own defense? What do they need to put into the pot for us to be willing to say, okay, we will back you up? Do they have to make every man and woman in the country into a military conscript? What do we need to see? What did we need to see in Afghanistan to make it worth our time and money and effort to be there? There's also an interesting question of what's the message we send withdrawing like this? Nikki Haley had some quotes in the press saying that China and Russia and Iran are watching us and they think we're weak and we can't protect our interests. America is less safe. I don't know. I mean, I, I actually think it shows the opposite, that we were willing to pour $2 trillion and and 20 years into a country with limited strategic value. Doesn't that signal that if it was Japan or Israel, that we'd really pull out the stops for a country that's truly our ally? There's also the possibility that this is going to turn into a proxy contest. Remember, the Taliban is backed by Pakistan and Pakistan is backed by China. So that's on the one side. On the other side is India, which is Pakistan's mortal enemy, China's enemy, and will strive to contain the Taliban and to to contain their influence, probably in partnership with Russia, because Vladimir Putin wants to have influence in the area too. So is the US going to end up in a proxy contest here where we support India and they're our, our proxy in the area? You know, You can believe that this war should have ended long ago and that it was unwinnable and that we should have never been there. But that's separate from the way that we left, right? Deciding to leave and that being a good decision is different from the execution of it. And we totally screwed up the execution of it. And so now we have these disgraceful and haunting scenes. I don't think it had to be that way. And you you have to watch them. It's so powerful. The helicopters evacuating Americans from the U.S. embassy, the Taliban flag flying over the presidential palace, the idiotic supposed leaders of the Western world who are now beseeching these medieval barbarians to recognize the, quote, international community, warning them that the world is watching. Could you imagine saying something stupider than that? Do you think they care? But really, the most shameful and dishonorable part of this is the way that we have abandoned the Afghans who helped us. They're trapped by an American bureaucracy, by the Taliban itself. You know, the email inbox for emergency visa requests for Afghan people who worked for the American forces has reportedly crashed. One former sergeant said, quote, this is murder by incompetence. And it really is. I find it difficult to believe that our only options were a forever war or immediate withdrawal and dark ages style massacre of our allies. But if those were really our only options, it should have been better communicated. And I get that the Biden administration was in this impossible position after 20 years of bipartisan failure, but they responded to that challenge in an unthinkably disastrous way. And of course, you're going to have goons like Liz Cheney. What a moron. She's screaming that we shouldn't have pulled out of Afghanistan. Of course, we should have. But that's her father's legacy. So she wants to act like it's the right idea to be there. Fuck, these birds are loud. They must be fighting or something. What a racket. You know, to quote Tim Dillon, nothing grows in Afghanistan but opium and young boys. This whole country was controlled by pedophile warlords. So what are they going to do now? Come to America with their opiates, with the young boys? That's fine. Just make sure you ask everyone their fucking pronouns. Thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Bressler Nation. You can find my writing on Substack. Please recommend this podcast to your friends and colleagues. Word of mouth is so important. You can sign up to be a paid supporter on Anchor, and we'll be back with more soon.